Welcome back to Bootability, a weekly interview series about the amazing ability we all have to change our lives and the world if we're brave enough to tap into it. I'm your host, Jihee Jolly. Today we're talking about what it takes to become unshakable. Our guest is Brittany Jones, who recently became the youngest elementary school principal to serve in the LA Unified School District, which is the second largest in the country. She shares her journey into education and how, at a crucial turning point in her career as an educational leader, chanting Nam Myoho Ringe Kyo helped her challenge her own insecurities and win each day. This episode is especially relevant for anyone who struggles with limiting themselves or easing their anxiety by trying to control their schedule a little too much. And it's an incredible illustration of how sometimes letting go and focusing on the present is the greatest strength of all. I'll let Brittany share the rest. So my name is Brittany and I'm 32 years old and well, 32 and a half. (laughs) And I'm calling from Los Angeles, California right now. Amazing. So yeah, first, thank you so much for taking the time to have this conversation. I'm excited to just hear your story and unpack it. I'm sure it's going to be very encouraging for many people. Um, But why don't we just start with the context? So um, if you can share sort of like how and when did you get introduced to SGI Nature and Buddhism? Um, and then kind of why did you start? What was kind of going on at the time that you decided I'm going to chant? Okay, so I was first exposed to this Buddhism in college, in undergrad. So I went to UC Berkeley. And when I was a sophomore, I moved into an apartment with some friends And um, one of them became my very best friend, and she had been practicing this Buddhism for a while. And I remember I would hear her chanting Nam-myoho-renge-kyo in her room sometimes, or like when I would go upstairs to see if we could hang out, I discovered that she was like having this quiet moment time and chanting. So then I'd just like kind of close the door back and go back downstairs, (laughs) like maybe I'll come back later. So I was familiar with you know, the sound of chanting. And I recognized the chant because I, of course, heard it in the, uh, you know, Tina Turner movie. So I was like, oh, she's doing that thing from the from the movie. (laughs) Um, So that was how I was first exposed to it. Um, But that was all the way in like 2008 or nine. And I didn't actually start practicing until 2018. And so um, the reason I decided to just take the leap was at the time I had just gone through a breakup and I was in a relationship for about five years and my partner and I, we were living together. And so there was going to be this big transition where I was going to suddenly have to live on my own. And I was so concerned about money. I was like, how am I going to afford to stay in my apartment by myself now? So I was stressing about that. I was really sad that my relationship was coming to an end, even though I you know, made that decision. Um, and I was transitioning from being an in-the-classroom teacher to an out-of-classroom teacher, where I just kind of supported the teachers at my school site. And so I was becoming a leader, but I felt 
really, I felt young and like I wasn't ready for that. And so I was nervous about that. And um, I just found out that my mom had a life-threatening brain tumor and that she had to have a 16-hour surgery. And so I was also, all of these things were happening like in the same month. So I'm like taking on all of this and I started to feel like I was just spiraling downward. And I felt like I did, I had no idea what to do. Like, even though I had um, a therapist and I could talk these things through with someone, I still kind of felt like, you know, like I was in the dark. And I remember I had been kind of, my best friend and I hadn't talked in a really long time. And so I reached out to her and shared some of the struggles that I'd been experiencing. And she invited me over to her house. And so I went to her her house and she just said, you know, maybe you should chant with me. And Mm -hmm. I remember thinking like, you know, I don't see how that's going to, you know, help anything. (laughs) But, But I thought to myself, like, you know, I don't have anything to lose. So, and I remember her saying something like, you can just experiment with it. Let's just try together and then you can see how you feel. And so I said, okay. So we chanted together. And um, I think after that, I just decided to experiment. I said, well, let's just see what happens if I continue this at home. So like every day after that for like two weeks, I would try to do it just for a little bit, like a little tiny bit. And I remember being super self-conscious because for some reason I was worried that someone was going to hear me chanting (laughs) these words and that I sound like that I sounded silly or something. I don't know. I was, I remember being really self-conscious about it at first, but I just chanted a little bit each day before work. And, and yeah, that's how it all got started. And after that, I joined a meeting and got to meet some people. And next thing you know, I was a member. I became an official member in 2019. Wow. Oh my gosh. Well, I mean, first of all, that's a lot of things to be happening at the same time. Um, sounds like an extremely intense month. Um, so I, I can see from your friend's perspective, like in that moment, why that was the the offering sort of maybe just chant. Um, but I, I'm curious, um, like, did you feel different after you started chanting? Or I guess after those first couple of weeks, do you remember sort of what made you feel like, oh, I'm going to continue? Because now it's been a couple of years since then, and you're still chanting, right? Yeah. Yeah, I remember the very first thing that happened that was like, wow, maybe this, maybe this is for me was <laughs> I was, there was a student at my school who he was very troubled, but he really enjoyed giving everybody a hard time. I would wake up and I'd be thinking like, okay, I'm going to make it through this day. I'm not going to let this child like control my energy. <laughs> and so I remember I decided to just chant for his happiness. Someone gave me that advice at one of the district meetings that I attended, you know, like when people are giving you a hard time, you know, just chant for their happiness. And so I was like, okay, I'm gonna give that a try. So I really started to just chant for his happiness because it it made sense to me that, you know, happy people don't try to make other people miserable. So Mm -hmm. I figured, you know, if anything, if they're happy, maybe things will get better. And so literally, a week later, maybe two weeks later, um, we got a call that they were transferring to a different school. And I remember thinking like, just what? <laughs> they're, they're transferring? And so then I remember thinking like, well, his happiness was not here. His happiness 
must be elsewhere. And so, you know, I thought to myself, let me not even question this too much. I think it's because I was chanting and I decided to just keep chanting just in case, you know, it was because I was chanting. (laughs) So I, I didn't want to stop. So I just decided to continue on. And then, of course, I started to see lots and lots of other benefits, you know, down the line. But that was the first thing that I can remember that happened that I was like, wow, I thought this suffering was never going to end. And then it was just suddenly over. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's so interesting. Yeah, I also love um, kind of like that aspect of starting one's practice, the experimental nature of it, like kind of how how you describe, like it is these sort of small, somewhat inexplicable things. And you don't have to feel like, yes, I fully believe this in order to try it. It just sort of is like, oh, little things started happening and your sort of own belief grows over time based on your unique experiences. So um, yeah, that's so interesting. Um, so today we're going to talk a bit more about your career. And I'm I'm wondering if we could sort of start with one context question. Um, so for those listening, I understand that you're now the youngest principal to serve in your district, um, and which is one of the nation's largest school districts. And we're going to talk a lot more about kind of what that means and what your pra- what role your practice plays in that. But um, how did you like originally decide to go into education or where did where did sort of this path begin for you just out of curiosity? Well, when I went to when I first accepted my letter um, to Berkeley, I don't think I selected a major at all. I was just like, I don't know what I want to do. And I was hoping I would figure it out while I was there. And eventually I decided I would study media. So I got my degree in media, but then I took one education class and I decided that I should minor in education. And so I minored in education. And on top of that, I was a part of this organization on campus, um, called the Black Recruitment and Retention Center. And their purpose was to try to recruit more students of color to come to the school, specifically Black students from all over California. And they also worked really hard to retain the students that were there. And so every year we would take this trip to Southern California and visit 100 high schools. And we would break into groups to try to visit all of these schools. And we would talk to students, not not just the students who seemed like they were definitely going to get into great schools, but the kids who were like, I don't really see why I should go to college. Like they had decent grades, but didn't really seem too interested. And so we would come and we'd talk to them just as like young people, like, yeah, college is cool. We're there. You know, <laughs> there's people that look like you there. You should come. And we get them like pumped and interested. And I remember one we were going through all of the details of the requirements, the minimum requirements to get into a four-year university in California and the courses you needed to take to be competitive. And one student raised their hand and said, well, those some of those classes aren't offered here. And I remember thinking, well, that has to be illegal or, or something. Like, I remember just being confused that the, like the basic requirements to get into a four-year university just weren't available at that school site. And if someone wanted to be competitive academically, they would have to go take courses at, you know, the local community college. And I just thought that was unfair. I remember being just 
angry. I was so angry about it. Like, I must do something about this. And I think that was the first time that I felt like I was passionate about a topic because I kind of just was moving through life and college and like everything's whatever. I don't really feel strongly about anything, but maybe one day I will. But that was like the first thing I felt really strongly about. Like, I want to talk about this. And so that's when I decided that I wanted to minor in education. And then I remember taking a class where I, my one of my assignments was to support a first grade class. And I just fell in love with the little people. And I was like, <laughs> I love talking to these little people. It was so fun. And I said, I could do this. I could do this all day. And um, then I decided, then I remember someone saying, oh, you know, teachers don't make the most money. And I was like, oh, wow, that's that's really unfortunate. And so I was like, but it looks like a lot of fun, though. And so I decided that I'd explore more in the field of education. So that's kind of how I ended up in this in this field. Yeah, it's it's interesting how life sort of just kind of puts you puts you on a path sometimes um, just yeah. by following your own curiosity or interests, you know? And I and I also love like, I mean, some people are like born knowing this is what I'm gonna do. Other people, most people I think aren't. So it's it's always fun to hear kind of how the how the journey evolves. Um so so maybe we could start with, I mean, I'm sure there's like years of of stories in between that moment and now, but um, but I understand that now, so you are a principal um of an elementary school. And um I'm curious, like because this happened fairly recently, right? Um, this kind of mm-hmm. last couple of years. So after you started practicing Buddhism, so maybe we can maybe uh, start at that point, like from where you, I guess, 2019, you said, you know, when you started mm-hmm. practicing Buddhism, where were you sort of in your career? And then how how did you come to take on this role? And is it something that you were chanting about along the way? Just, yeah, we'll start with that story if that's okay. Yeah. So around the time where I became a member and was really regularly practicing Buddhism, I had just taken a position as a coordinator. And so I was out of the classroom and this was my first time leaving the classroom and taking on a leadership role at my school. And I was chanting regularly at that point because I just had a lot of imposter syndrome. I was the youngest person on my campus and all the teachers had to have been at least at least 15 years older than me and now i was responsible for coordinating all of them and giving them directions and talking to parents and having all these different meetings with different parents and i used to think to myself like i'm just i felt like a kid inside still and it's like everyone's going to listen to me, to me, like to what I have to say. So I was just constantly going back and forth in my mind, like, am I really doing this? And so, but the job was so hard. It was so hard because I was managing discipline. I was creating schedules. I was on the playground, supervising things. I was, it was just like never ending responsibilities. And I think some of them were not really my responsibilities, but I'm the kind of person that just likes to get things done. So I would just be, I'd have my hand in a little bit of everything at school. And 
there was the the office manager um, who greeted everyone in the main office. She'd been working at the school for quite some time. And she was really, she was a really important part of my everyday life at that school. She would give me really helpful tips. She'd give me reminders. She'd help me organize things. She'd, you know, put thoughts in my mind, like, you know, you might want to be thinking about this, you know, down the line, just like a mother figure. And she would, you know, remind me to eat my lunch because sometimes I just let the time get away from me and I would not eat my lunch. And then next thing you know, I'd be grumpy, you know, just little things like that. Like, you know, close your door. Tell I'll tell everyone you're busy. You just need some time to yourself. Eat your lunch. And I'd be like, okay, thanks. Thanks. You know, so she was like this mother figure for me at work. And I remember saying like, I could never do this job here without her. Mm-hmm. And so then around that time, I got an email from a teacher who used to work at my school, who was now working at a different school. She sent me an email and she says that her school is looking for a new instructional coordinator and that she heard that I was doing a great job at my school and maybe I'd be interested in coming to be a coordinator at her school next year. And I didn't even... I did not take it very seriously at first. I was like, you know, I just got this job this year. I can't just leave this community. Um, A lot of the students at the school that I was working at came from underserved communities. And I had strong bonds with the families and the kids. And I was friends with all the teachers. And I remember thinking, no, I'm not, I can't just leave. I can't leave. But I told my boss, my principal at the time about the email I got and she, her advice was that it's always great to make friends. And so I thought, oh, that's, that's an interesting, you know, take on this. So she allowed me to take a, like during my lunch break one day, she allowed me to go visit that other school just to meet with the other principal. And I toured the school and it was just, it just had a different feel to it. And I even though I liked it, I just, it didn't seem like I could work there. I was like, I can't, I can't leave. I can't leave my babies at my school, you know? So I said, can I think about it? I told her I need to think about it. So she said, yeah, take all the time you need to think about it. So I went home and just chanted about it because I was really conflicted, but I was also suffering at that school because I was depleting all of my energy and my spirit to give to the teachers, to the parents, to the children. And I would go home and be just absolutely exhausted. And I didn't want to be exhausted anymore. I wanted to be able to come home and be able to do some other stuff if I wanted. Mm -hmm. So I chanted about it. I just said, you know, I don't know what the right decision is. Maybe, you know, maybe I can learn something at that other school. And it doesn't mean that I'm abandoning my community, but I wasn't sure still. So I just chanted and I chanted for a clear sign. And after a week of chanting just strictly about that decision, I went to school one morning and the office manager, who was like my mother figure, was crying. And I was like, what's going on? Why why are you crying? And she tells me that She had applied to be the office manager at a different school, and she was hoping that the position would start at the beginning of the school year, but for whatever reason, she was released effective immediately. So it was only, I want to say, April 
it was a few months before the last day of school. And I was thinking, how are we going to make it to the end of the school year without you? She was like the heartbeat of the school. Like everyone loved her. She had answers for everyone. And she was crying like, yeah, I'm leaving next week. I'm not, I'm not going to be here anymore. And I, I was like, this is the sign because I had literally said to myself, I could not be here without you. Mm-hmm. And I felt like that was the clear sign. And I mean, when once she was gone, things were significantly harder. But, you know, I chanted through all of that too. But that was the sign, you know, her leaving to a new school. And after that, I, you know, messaged that principal and said, I will take the job. <laughs> wow. And, and so, that's the school and- that you're now principal of? Yes. So now I'm at this school. That's the school I'm now principal of. And that principal told me she wanted to hire a coordinator who was interested in one day becoming a principal. And I knew there were a lot of hoops to jump through to officially become a principal. Um, You know, just just a little context to become a principal here. You have to have been a teacher for at least five years. And then you have to, after that, you have to have some sort of, you know, leadership experience outside of the classroom for a little bit. Then you need to apply for an aspiring assistant principals program. And then you need to do that program for a school year. Once you finish that program, then you're put on a list of eligible assistant principals to be hired. So then you can be hired as an assistant principal. Once you've been an assistant principal for at least one year, then you can apply for the aspiring principals program. You do that program for a year. And then when you pass that program and take a test, then you're placed on an eligible principals list to be hired. Then you can be hired as a principal. So that's that's a lot of steps. So the pandemic happened and all my plans towards this goal were halted because those programs were put on pause. And I was still on the step of wanting to become an assistant principal. That was my goal at the time. So um, everything was put on pause, but you know, I was okay with it because I decided I was going to just continue to create as much value as I could in the role that I was in um, and just do my best. And I was really able to like showcase my abilities virtually because everything was on Zoom for a while. Um, and so I got to really, you know, lead in Zoom school. <laughs> um, and so, so then school returns in person and I'm in the aspiring assistant principals program. And then in December, suddenly my principal announces that she's retiring in December at the end, like right before winter break. And I was not expecting, it was a surprise to me. It was a surprise to everyone. And I thought, I was like, what are, what are we going to do? Like, they're going to have to give us a new principal. And I don't know if that person's going to support this plan that I have that we're on. We're on this path of me becoming a leader. And she was really supporting me that through this whole process and mentoring me and really showing me how everything works in the school and just really just grooming me for to be a good leader. And she'd been the principal for 18 years at that at the school. And so she announced suddenly she's retiring in December and she said, are you ready to be the principal? And I was like, what? (laughs) I, (laughs) I was like, I can't be the principal yet. Like, I'm not ready. I still haven't done, you know, like the things and the things, you know, like I haven't done the things. (laughs) And she's like, (laughs) she's like, 
I mean, well, I think you're ready and let's just see who will fight for us. Like, I know there are lots of rules and protocol and all of that stuff, but you know, maybe, you know, maybe there's a way, maybe we can just find people who will fight for us to make it happen. And so, and I was like, okay, but I don't, I mean, I don't know if I'm ready. And she just, she believed in me like completely. She just had the absolute faith that I could do this job. And so I applied for the position once it was open officially and I got an interview and the interview was like very long. <laughs> it was a very, very long interview, very thorough, very intense, lots of questions. It was like, it felt like I was writing a personal statement, like giving a personal statement for every question. Like that's how loaded the questions were. And I remember like the the members in my district, they knew that I was interviewing that day. And so they were all chanting for me. And I, it was almost like I could feel them chanting for me like during my interview, because I told them what time it was and that I'm going through this really intense interview today. So they were all chanting for me and I could like feel it. I could feel it. And I was confident. I made it through the interview process. And then um, at the end of the year, I was told that I got the job and I just couldn't, I still can't believe it. And I've been doing (laughs) it since January, but I'm just like, what? And so, yeah. And then recently I discovered that I'm the youngest elementary school principal. In the district. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, first of all, congratulations. <laughs> That's a really wild story. What a journey, like so fast. And in a pandemic, I didn't even think about that aspect of it because I'm sure there's there's like so much experience time, like hands-on experience time that you are missing on top of everything else. So mm-hmm. um just okay, so let me start with one quick clarifying question. Um backtracking to when you were sort of thinking of going into education how did you decide between teaching and administration because those are pretty different paths yeah um before I became a teacher um I remember visiting so I'm in a sorority and a lot of my sorority sisters like the the women who came before me a lot of them are in education so I remember visiting one of them um, at her school and she was an assistant principal. And I remember thinking, this is also like at an elementary school and she's the boss of everything, kind of. <laughs> and that looks like a cool job. So I remember saying like, huh, how do I become a principal? So I, before I became a teacher, like right before I did that, I had already decided that I was going to be a principal. Mm-hmm. So I went into teaching knowing I wanted to be the person to make big decisions. And I, and it all went back to that day when I was at that visiting that school and they didn't have the the classes to be competitive for college. I was like, "Well, who's deciding these things? Who's in charge? I wanted to be in charge of stuff." <laughs> and I so, see. Wow. And so when I asked her, I said, "You know, how do I become a principal?" She was like, "Well, you have to be a teacher first. And I was like, "Oh my gosh." <laughs> and so I was like, "Okay, I'll do that." So I I went to grad school got a master's in education um, and a teaching credential. And so I just began that journey. So I was a teacher for five years and I was starting to really enjoy it. So I wasn't even thinking anymore so much. Like it wasn't like pressing that I needed to leave the classroom, but someone actually sought me out and said, I need you like an educational leader in my district was like visiting the school. And she came to my classroom and told me that, she thinks that I should be 
an administrator, a leader, and that I should apply for an out-of-the-classroom position. And I was like, no, I've only been teaching for a little while, and I don't want to be one of those those leaders who don't have that much experience. Like, I want people to really respect me when, when I am in charge because I've really been on the ground. I really know what's going on. So I was really apprehensive about leaving the classroom at first. I knew I wanted to be an administrator, but I wanted to really put the time in, you know, like I wanted to say that, you know, I earned my stripes or whatever. (laughs) And so, um, but I ended up leaving the classroom after five years because I was like, everybody was just encouraging me from just everywhere. Like, you should do it. You should do it. I was like, okay, I'll do it. (laughs) Yeah. And um, so, yeah, I kind of got pushed a little bit. It's so interesting though, because like, um, And, you know, in some senses, when we chant, like our, I guess, truest or best self comes out, right? It's almost like you're fast tracking to like that aspect of yourself getting stronger. And it's just so interesting just to to think back on the story that like you, you started out like I want to make a difference and I want to take responsibility for kind of this disparity I'm seeing as a college student and therefore I need to become a principal. So like that, just that like that was your like kind of core feeling and then your environment really like supported you to do that around the time that you started practicing, right? Because you said you were introduced and you really started your practice like 2018, 2019 and that's when you were in the coordinator position and kind of feeling like I'm young and everyone's older than me. Can I do this? You know, Mm -hmm. so I'm, I, it's, it's just interesting to kind of make that, that connection if that makes sense. Like you just were like, okay go time <laughs> like once you started practicing yeah I just had to just go I had to just go with the flow of every because it was like it was like I was surfing I just had to stay <laughs> on I just had to stay on the board <laughs> you yeah. know it just felt like things are going and I just got to go this way yeah so so how like now I mean I know it's just been a few months but even prior to this you know you as you've been on the kind of climb in a sense like um what are the day-to-day challenges? I imagine there must be so many. And like, how have you started to, or been able to, you know, integrate like your daily practice of chanting? And, you know, you mentioned your district already supporting you. Like, how do those things sort of connect? And I mean, for people who might not know what it actually means to even be a principal day-to-day, I'm sure there's there's so much there. Yeah, there's <laughs> there's so much. I could go, I could We'll be here all day if I tell you all things. <laughs> but um, but basically, once I be once I began this position, I had to become very disciplined in my sleeping time. Like I had to say, you're going to go to bed at ten o'clock p.m. because I have to get up at five a.m. now. So now every day I have to wake up at five a.m. so that I have enough time to chant. And feel like I've chanted enough where I feel like confident and good about, you know, what I can do in this day. And then, you know, I I prepare like a lunch and, you know, I just want to move at a nice pace in the morning and feel like strong. So I have to wake up at five or else I don't feel strong. (laughs) But it's still it's not easy. It hurts. So I get up super early and then I try to be one of the first people at work. And when I get there, I have to like check this system that tells me if anybody has COVID 
and who's not allowed to come into the school. There's like this really elaborate system. So I have to like check like all these logistics, make sure that, you know, everything's in order. And then once the students start coming into the campus, I'm greeting them at the gate and, you know, saying hello to everyone. And once they're all inside, then I go back to my office and then I might have like a parent phone call that was scheduled or, um, an early morning meeting with like the booster club or the PTA, or I might have like a coffee with the principal virtual event where like parents, you know, come hear some of the updates that are going on on campus. Um, And then after that, um, I might work on like some compliance stuff, like just some paperwork, things that have to be turned in. I'll walk through some classrooms, usually a couple of students get sent to the office for various reasons, you know, someone's not feeling well or someone's not following directions or disrupting the classroom. So then I have to have a chat with them and, you know, help them feel better about re-entering the classroom. Um, and then it's recess. And then I try to go out at recess every now and then to like, you know, play with the kids or just kind of see how it feels out there. And um, then after recess, I'll go back. There might be, um, there's always just random meetings happening on Zoom. So I might have a meeting. I might meet with my team in the office. Then I have to deal with like budget stuff. Like, okay, where are we with the budget? Um, Planning for the upcoming school year, organizing classes for the next school year, making sure, you know, we can keep all of our teachers, looking at enrollment numbers, or maybe I'm giving a school tour to prospective families, um, managing the wait list of people trying to get into the school, calling people to tell them they're accepted or, you know, emailing people telling them they're not eligible, just all types of little things like that. And then then I have staff meetings and randomly someone might call the office or a parent might come in and they're upset about something and then I have to give them a pep talk. And so there's just like... I never know where the day is going to take me. I have stuff that I have to do in the day. And then there's just a bajillion other things that just find their way in between like what I have to do. And then I usually leave, I try my best to leave work by 4.30, but usually it's about five. And then I get home and I, sometimes I have like a Buddhist meeting and um, those are usually really energizing and encouraging. Um, And and yeah, and then I and then I chant in the evening, and so my my days are very structured, so that I can like keep, you know, keep it going. <laughs> yeah. Wow. It strikes me just hearing you describe describe a day at work that like, um, in addition to the actual tasks that you have to complete, it seems like it's also almost entirely up to you what kind of principal you want to be. You know, like I'm sure so much of this is like you're deciding the priorities and it's kind of you have to dictate like where your energy goes. I'm Mm -hmm. curious, like, is that like, do you have sort of a philosophy for that or like how like a vision for how do you decide that? Because it's I mean, otherwise, I imagine it could be easy to be swallowed by all of that, too. Yeah, I remember deciding that I did not want to be a micromanager and that's something that I've thought about a lot because I'm naturally a type A person. Like I'm the kind of person that likes everything to look perfect. But I I accepted when I got this job that there's going to be a lot of things that I'm not going to be able to do perfect because I don't have time. And so I have to get 
used to delegating because my previous positions have been roles where I could focus on the details and the technical things. But now my job is to manage the big picture and empower other people to do the details. Mm-hmm. And and I have to be able to let it go or let people do things in ways that are best for them. So I always keep at the forefront of my mind that I want everyone to be their best selves. Like whatever they're doing, I want them to do it in the best way that they can do it. And they're only going to do that if they understand the vision and if they feel that I respect them, you know, and, mm-hmm. and encourage them and, and see them. And so something I always chant about is to be able to um, bring forth my Buddha nature in every conversation that I have with someone at school. So whether it's a child, a parent, a teacher, some other faculty member, anyone, I want I want to bring forth their Buddha nature in our conversation. And I want my Buddha nature to be like at the forefront mm. so that that so that we're connecting on a really honest and human true level. Um, and then from there, things work out. And so I I think when I'm really trying to hear and feel the heart of everyone I interact with, then the outcomes that I want, just they just work out. And so I'm able to be the type of principal that that people trust and that people know um, are going that they, they know I'm going to follow up. They know that I'm going to follow through. They know that I'm listening. They know that I'm not, you know, at the front of the line pulling them, but that I'm in the line with them and we're all pushing together, you know. And so, um, yeah. And so I have to I have to prioritize things in a way that keeps the children first, that keeps the humans first. Because if I get carried away with all of the tasks that are related to like compliance or test scores or, you know, things like that, then I get away from the purpose of leading people. I also think it's really important to acknowledge the Buddhahood of children because, you know, it's so difficult at times when you're trying to connect with adults because there's so much there's so much baggage or experience or trauma or just anything that stands in the way of seeing another adult's Buddhahood, seeing their infinite potential for good, you know, and we all have it. But what's special about children's Buddhahood is that I feel like it's just so close to the surface. Like you don't have to dig as deep to see it. Because children are, they're just so honest and and precious. And so that's what makes my job so fun and so amazing. And what keeps me going is because I know that if I'm in my office and a child is sent there, or even if I'm just on the playground chatting with a student, um, I can see their Buddhahood, you know, even if they're doing something naughty or, you know, not being kind through conversation, or even just observing them, I can see their Buddhahood and I can reach them with my Buddhahood. Yeah, I love that. It it reminds me of, um, I don't have the 
exact quote with me, but this uh, this quote that I read from Ikeda this month um, that essentially is like like strategy and skill and all of those things are really important for like any any endeavor, but more important than all of those things is the heart. Yes, it sounds yes. like yeah, exactly that. Um, I I I don't know if this like uh, is too broad of a question, so feel free to share like any specific examples if it's helpful. But what I'm hearing from you is like like this sort of daily routine of like okay, wake up at five a.m. and get strong so you can actually you know handle the day. <laughs> In Buddhism, we talk so much about. Um, this concept of human revolution or inner transformation, that it's like a continual journey that that we're on of bringing mm-hmm. out the best in ourselves. And I'm curious, like for you personally, um, I'm sure you're in the midst of it, but in this journey to really become a leader in education, what sort of mm-hmm. inner transformation do you feel like you've had to go through or you're going through? And how has Buddhism helped you sort of do it? I'm just thinking from the perspective of someone who might be listening, who's like, like, how did she get from A to, you know, B? Because it seems like so much and I don't even know how to approach it. And it seems like you have mm-hmm. a good grasp on yourself in all of this, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, part of my human revolution process that and continuous journey is to accept that I don't know the order that things are going to happen in. And that's, <laughs> and that's okay. <laughs> because I am a bullet journal type of person. Like I have a bullet journal. It has a lot of notes in it. It's very pretty. You know, I have tasks that I love to check a little box off of that I did this and then I'm going to do this and then I'm going to eat this and then, oh, I'm feeling like this today. The weather looks like this. I might draw a little cloud, like, you know, (laughs) a cute little, you know, like, but I don't really have time for that anymore. And so I've, I've had to really chant to except that I'm always where I'm supposed to be. And that's been such, that's been so hard. It's still hard to, to accept, to swallow that I always am where I'm supposed to be. Um, Because I used to be like this really anxious person that was like obsessed with time. Like if somebody was late to something that I was doing with them, I'd just be so angry. I'd be like the angry is like, you're late. I've been like waiting for you all day. Or like, or if I'm going to be late, I'd be even more anxious because I think about how upset it made me feel when other people were late and I'm waiting for them. So I didn't want to do that to someone else. So I'd have that same anxiety. Like I'd be just as hard on myself as I was on other people who were late. I had this obsession with time and um, and just knowing how I'm going to get from point A to point B. Like first I'm going to do this and then I'm going to do this and they're going to say that. And then I'm going to say this, you know, like <laughs> I, I used to like have to do that because it made me feel at peace, but really it wasn't making me feel at peace. It was creating more, it was creating more anxiety. And so through this practice, I have gotten to a place where I, I want to be in alignment with my purpose And I don't know what the pathway to that purpose or to that place is, you know, but I know that it's a journey and I know that I'm where I'm supposed to be at all times. And I just chant about that. I chant to just be in alignment all the time. I'm chanting that I'm in rhythm with, Mm -hmm. you know, and like in this practice, we always talk about the, the mystic law of cause and effect, you know, like 
you know, there's a cause and there's an effect and there, you know, I just want to be in rhythm with, with that, with that mm-hmm. law. And I trust it. And I think chanting helps me, helps me believe it and helps me feel it and allows me to not get caught up in the technicalities of everything. Because if I, if I focus too much on the details, then I'm, I'm, I'm going to miss out on the, on the big picture, which is my actual job is to have the big picture. I have to have the big picture. And my job is to help is to direct other people to manage the details. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that's been really hard for me because I'm used to doing the details. That's the job I'm used to doing. And so it's been a big transition, but I think it's kind of helped me in other areas of my life. Like if I don't make up my bed one day, it's not the end of the world. But the, it used to feel like the end of the world to me. Like, you know, I was a little late and now I, my bed's not made up. And so things are just off now. But it's like, no, I, I think I'm starting to feel like it's okay that my bed not made up today. I, you know, I can make it up later. <laughs> yeah, I I completely understand what you mean. And I think there's uh, there's definitely people who who that that like um that strictness or that desire to to control in order to ensure that the outcome is going to be positive i think is uh maybe not everyone does that but there's many people who live that way because it does reduce anxiety or it does kind of help people tackle imposter syndrome or all of those things right like when you're always controlling for the outcome by knowing that you've done everything on the list but uh, I imagine, yeah, just making the leap to to leadership, whether it's you're a principal of a school or a CEO. I'm like, there's so many roles in society that are um, not that clean. <laughs> like you, you just kind of have to <laughs> take care of so many things at the same time and develop that flexibility of spirit too. So I appreciate you sharing that because I, um, I think a lot of people are afraid to even aspire to those kinds of roles because they're, they don't think that they're that kind of person. But it sounds like what you're describing is you can become that kind of person, even if you weren't at first. Yeah, it's, it's so, I've really grown. Like, I think my human revolution has been to, to let go of so much and chanting kind of recharges me to be more accepting of all the little changes that happen in the day. Like I might have a whole plan for the day. And a lot of times that plan does not go anywhere near what I, what I plan for the day. And I don't, I don't allow, like, I'm not shaken anymore. It used to be like, I could feel myself like, you know, being, getting worked up that things aren't going the way I planned. Um, But chanting has allowed me to, to be kind of unmoved, like, okay, now the wind is blowing me this way. So I'm going to just go this way and handle this. And then I'll get back. You know, I'm able to like swerve and then come back to where I needed to be before um, and not be upset or angry about it Um, Mm -hmm. because it used to, it used to really bother me. So a lot less things bother me. I mean, I'm still bothered. Things are still annoying, (laughs) but they don't, take up they don't require the same amount of energy that they used to you know like those those changes those pivots those you know those moments they don't Mm -hmm. take up the same amount of energy in my body anymore um because i because of chanting it kind of recharges me and i and i can tell sometimes when i'm not as centered because i can kind of feel myself being swayed 
more mm-hmm. by the little the little changes in the day. Um, but when I'm when I'm chanting and I'm able to center myself first thing in the morning, then I'm not as easily swayed. Yeah, yeah, I love that. And that's also like in the Buddhist community, we use the phrase winning in the morning so much, like how crucial it is just to win in the morning to start your day. And a lot of people ask, like, why do you chant in the morning? Can it just be at at any time of day? Which, yes, you can chant whenever, but I agree, like the morning is a game changer. (laughs) It just sets up such a different day. Okay, so just one more follow up here. And I wonder, um, just, you know, what you're describing of this, like, human revolution that you've had to go through. Um, I, I don't want to make it sound like I'm sure it was hard. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm, I, I don't think like these things aren't just like, a, OK, I'm going to be this way. And then I chanted and then it happens. Like, usually it's kind <laughs> right. of a painful process. Yes. So, like, do you recall any specific experiences or turning points where you were like, this is this is what I need to chant about or like this is what I need to challenge that helped you get there? I think it all started when I took on that leadership role at my old school. Like once I left the classroom, that's when I realized that this whole to-do list thing, (laughs) I can't check all the boxes in one day and that's okay. And I remember the office manager, you know, like the mom figure lady, you know, she used to always at the end of each day, she would always say, try again tomorrow. (laughs) And I'll be like, oh, that's, that's nice, you know, because I would be like, I didn't get to the end of my to-do list. Like, this is not a good day. And she's like, no, you just try again tomorrow. And um, I wanted to believe that it's okay to try again tomorrow because it, I didn't really believe that. Um, I just felt like, no, I set out to do this stuff and I need to do it. Um, and it was really difficult. It, that was that was difficult for me. Um, managing family, family dynamics um, I have two siblings. I have two sisters. And I, I think like with a lot of people's families, you, you take on the emotions and the energy and whatever's happening with, you know, the people you care about. Um, but I realized that I also couldn't allow myself to be taken over by whatever's going on with my family either. Like I wanted to be able to be a source of, you know, peace of help. I didn't want to get like swirled into all of the the stuff. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so I decided I needed to just, I wanted to, I chanted to be unshakable. I wanted to be unshakable because I felt like I was just, everything was, was shaking me. Like everything felt heavy. I felt heavy all the time. And, and it took a long time to get to a place, many years from the, from 2018 all the way to last year. Like there would be a lot of days where I would just feel like I was just taken over by other people's stuff. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to, I didn't want to be shakable anymore. I wanted to feel strong. Um, and I remember the school librarian asking me, she actually, someone actually noticed this in me at my school. The The librarian asked me how I'm able to, stay at ease and calm when there's like literally chaos going on. Like sometimes there'd just be like so many things happening at once and they're all my responsibility to solve. And she's like, how are you able to like just stay at ease during all of this stuff? And I was like, well, this is actually a great opportunity for me to tell you that I practice (laughs) Buddhism 
<laughs> because there's never like a time to tell anybody that in a professional setting. But she specifically asked me like, you know, how am I able to do this? And it's this, it's this practice. It's wow. what, it's what helps me be unshakable. So I'm always chanting to be unshakable. And it doesn't mean that nothing bothers me now because there are still times where I'm like, okay, this is really getting to me. This is really bothering me. Um, but I know this practice helps me believe that I will overcome it. Like I have no doubt that I will, you know, over like overcome anything, even if I can't see how or when or what I need to do or who's going to help me. I, I'm just so absolutely certain that I'm going to overcome it because when I just let go, then everything seems to always work out as long as I'm consistently taking action in a positive direction. Mm. Yeah, I love that. It makes sense. And it reminds me of I once heard in a meeting, um, um, like regarding really big dreams, like if if you have a really big dream, whether it's your career or something else, that the most important thing is um, not just to like, get the dream, but to really work on becoming the kind of person who can handle your dream coming true when you reach that level of success, which is this kind of inner mm -hmm. transformation part. Because I mean, yeah, imagine like becoming a principal and then not having the tools to know how to handle it, then what was the point or, you know, for someone else, yeah. it might be another industry. So, so real. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I, I wonder because, you know, we've spoken about this, the role that chanting has played in helping you to be, feel strong and feel unshakable. And, um, also just like the energizing impact of having the, the Buddhist community in the meetings. But, um, in terms of studies and study is also such a crucial part of our practice. Um, have, have you like come to find a favorite quote or Buddhist concept or something in, in terms of like the philosophy itself that you've held on to on this journey? Yeah. Yeah. I have a favorite quote. Um, and I remember I found this quote because I was trying to figure out how I could, because I felt like I was doing all this inner transformation and that I was chanting for myself and for others, but I was like, but what about everybody around me? Like, what if I'm just like the only person that's working towards good and then everybody around me is just like suffering? Like, how can I help my environment or the people around me experience this greatness too? Mm -hmm. And there's this quote and it says, everything starts with one person. Become someone who is loved by everyone in your community. That's the key. If there is a single tall tree people will gather under it to seek shade from the hot sun or shelter from the rain. Similarly, if people like and trust you, a person who practices Nichiren Buddhism, they will naturally come to view Buddhism in a positive light. This will lead to opportunities to share the teachings with them. Focus on growing into a tall tree, a fine tall tree for your community. Wow. I love that quote. Yeah, that's beautiful. It gives you such a clear focus. Like you don't have to worry about anybody else, but like you mm -hmm. can trust the impact that you're having based on showing up as that tree. <laughs> yeah, just be a, be a good, positive figure. Just, you know, shine your light and then people will come to you and want to know, you know, how. 
<laughs> yeah, absolutely. Like the librarian who asked you that question. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and then uh, so another question I and I sometimes ask this because the podcast is called Buddhability, um, which is really just another word for Buddhahood. Um, but I'm I'm wondering, you know, because at, at, at once Buddhability is sort of this universal thing that we can define, but it looks different in everyone's life. So based on your kind of several years now of practicing Buddhism, how have you come to define your own Buddhability? You know, like, or like, like, what is it that you're trying to bring out of your life or tap into, um, when you're, when you're practicing? Um, I, I define my Buddhability as my, my, just my infinite potential to do anything and to, and my potential to connect with any human, like any human. And I think, that the the more I'm able to connect with my bootability, the the more successful I am at connecting with people, with believing that I can accomplish anything that I put my mind to, you know, because it's not something that I I believe all the time, you know, like you meet people and you're like, whoa, their views are insane. Those those beliefs are completely different from mine. I I don't see any way that I could ever agree with anything this person has to say, you know. But when I tap into my bootability, I'm able to connect with literally anyone. Mm. And and so and that connects to that quote, you know, like just be someone that's loved and trusted, you know, by everyone, by your community you know, just by your day-to-day interactions. And so my bootability is, you know, my ability to connect with, with all humans and my ability to, to believe and know no matter what that I have an, the infinite potential to accomplish and overcome anything. Mm, that's amazing. I love that way of looking at it. Um, do you have like a, a vision or a dream sort of for, for what's next? I mean, either in your role or in education or in your career, I'm sure, you know, this is like still new, I guess, 2022, this role, but just wondering, yeah, what you're sort of thinking about. You know, I don't know, because I, I've been trying to think outside of this box of a school district. And Mm -hmm. sometimes I, I find myself limiting myself of like, how high can I go within the school district? But the school district is a box too. It's so limiting. And I don't, I want to make a big difference and I want to impact so many more lives. And I feel like each stage of my career, I'm able to touch more and more lives. So, you know, so from that, from being a part of that, you know, recruitment and retention center, talking to small groups, to having my own classroom, to being a coordinator, to now being a principal and being able to touch so many lives. Um, I want to, I want to touch even more lives. So I don't know. I know that I don't want to be limited to the, the, the path of becoming a leader in the school district, because I know there's a lot of red tape and, you know, politics and things like that. I want to operate outside of that somehow (laughs) and I want to be compensated for it, but I also want to make a big difference and have the freedom to, to change things, you know, and there's so much that doesn't change because of the, you know, the boxes that we've created for everything Mm -hmm. instead of looking at the humanity of it. And so I want to bring more humanity into the decisions that are made about teachers, about 
leaders about children and parents and families in public school specifically. So I don't know. I don't know what it is, but that's what I want to do. I want to be touching lives and talking. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I, um, yeah. And, and it really can, can be anything. It sounds like the, this, again, like what we've talked about, this process of human revolution or inner transformation, it essentially prepares you for anything, you know, because you can always sort of, um, yeah, tap into that endless potential. Um, so I'll move into my last question, which is what I always close with. So for anybody who is listening, um, who might be new to Buddhism, but maybe has a similar career experience to yours or path, whether or not they're in education, um, what one piece of advice would you give them? Hmm. A piece of advice. I would say, I would say chant for the day. Chant for, for being the best that you can be in this day. Just, huh. just today. Chant for today. And be open. And then be open to everything that comes to you in this day. So many opportunities come out of just today. You know, if you're, if you're doing your absolute best today, so many great things will happen. <laughs> what I loved about Brittany's story and advice was how clearly focused she is on winning every morning by chanting Nam-myoho-renge-kyo, which is a core part of SGI Nichiren Buddhist practice and the reason that it's daily. On that note, I'll leave you with these words from Buddhist philosopher Daisaku Ikeda, where he writes, Failing to win in the morning can lead to an unsatisfactory day, and an unending succession of such days can add up to an unsatisfying life. On the other hand, winning in the morning, getting off to a good start, leads to a productive day and puts you on a path to solid progress, ultimately culminating in a life of fulfillment and victory. Elsewhere, he explains that chanting every day amounts to what we might call a spiritual workout. It purifies our lives, gets our motors running, and sets us on the right track. It gets our bodies and minds moving and sets a good rhythm for the day. If you're brand new to chanting, we have some great resources on how to get started, which I'll link to in the show notes. And as always, if you have questions or would like to get connected to your local Buddhist community, you can email us at connect at sgi-usa.org. That's all for today, and we'll see you next week.